millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm sure you've come across some of these videos and some of the strategies that they, they talk about. Things like, you know, no money down, property no money down, or like, sell your HDB and get two private property. So do you kind of want to help us address <laughs> some of this? I hope, I hope we don't uh, get you in the trouble. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Uh, well, getting the no money down, I think it's normal. Hey Coconuts, this is Reggie, aka your chief financial coconut, and I'm taking over Andrew's slot today. So it's real good because he's on a holiday. I'm finally having some fun after two years. I hope you are traveling too and having some fun. Good stuff on you. Um, and recently we had an event called Our First Home, which is a property-related event, trying to get all of you together to grow a pacer pack and grow some clarity in your pursuit of your first home. This is following our new show or our new season of an old show, Coconut Avenue, right? So it came to an end and if you have not checked out season two you should check out coconut avenue it is focused on properties and following this line of thought i thought we would dig out a very old episode which i thought was really really good right so in the early days of me doing a podcast i recorded this one particular episode episode 46 of tfc with uh, this beautiful lady called maureen lee right so she has a swath of experience behind property uh, being in Australia and then came over to Singapore so she has um, quite a quite a property development and property fund and property management uh, operations going right? so good stuff and we had a good talk about big and small things around property and I wanted to bring it up again so we went over all things, right? From whether the Singapore property market is worth looking at, whether prices keep going up, uh, should Singaporeans invest in local property? You know, what are some of these internet guru telling you? Uh, how do those things work? Do they really work? So I think a lot of good stuff being shared and I want to bring it up. And I definitely hope to see you in our future event. Come for our future event. We'll do more for all of you. But... Pardon this particular episode because the recording was done in her balcony, pretty much. Right, so it was the early days of the podcast. Uh, we're not very stringent on sound and all of that. Right? So I hope you learn some good stuff and uh, yeah, keep moving towards the life you love. Welcome back to Chills with TFC. And allow me to introduce you to the beautiful and knowledgeable Miss Maureen Lee. Hello. <laughs> this is all very strange for me. So. Did I miss out anything? <laughs> yeah, so thanks for having us today. It's fun. You have beautiful place, two little dogs, so cute. You know, so we are recording in the outdoor, a little bit of drizzling out there, a little bit of wind, you know, a little bit of dog barking. So don't mind if you hear some cute little puppy squirts. And I think for a lot of our audience, right, they'll definitely be interested to understand why you choose Singapore? <laughs> why, why of all places you live in Australia? You know the amount of people that tell me, you know, I want to migrate to Australia. Uh, <laughs> so I, why do you come here? I think uh, now, having lived here, I, I always answer this question like, oh, maybe it's a moment of insanity. 
But um, back then, it was because um, I was keen to explore my uh, heritage, being an Asian. I've uh, grown up most of my life in Australia. I don't know what it's like to be an Asian, like understanding the language. I thought Singapore was a very safe landing place. It's very expat friendly. They all speak English. And so I thought to stay here for a while. And then um, initially, it was really to stay for a couple of years. And then we just got stuck. So the roots started to get deeper and deeper. And then now there are dogs, there are houses, there are businesses and all this other stuff. So it's a little bit hard to now uproot myself. Yes. So, yeah. so you have like actually been entrenched into the system. Yes. <laughs> You're yes. exactly what the government wants, right? Oh, <laughs> like just no. come in and then like build your stuff here and then like keep you here. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I applied for the permanent residency oh, after a couple okay. of years and I got in and yeah, I'm here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> so cool, right? And do you still go back often? Do you miss home? I used to go back like seven times per year, believe it or not. Wow, that is like every yes, other month. <laughs> yes, indeed. When my parents were still alive. But these days, I haven't been back for like three years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Singapore is kind of like the work home. I call it a work home. Yeah. When you call it a work home, does it mean like there's a lot of good work here? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like there's a lot of opportunity uh, in Singapore? That's why you stay here. Well, my space is in property, right? I've, I mean, I was an investor in property and still is. And so if I compare like for like, I would say that um, Australia is probably a much better place in terms of return on investment, generally, generally speaking. Um, And the flexibility of the type of strategy that I can apply in Australia is just phenomenal. Uh, So Singapore, when I first arrived, was like 21.3, ABSD, SSD just came here. I was thinking, gosh, nothing much I can do here. Um, So we started in corporate housing. Um, just to earn a little bit of income because I thought I don't want to dig into my nest egg. I want something that pays for my apartment, etc. So we started that. It's a cash flow exercise. So, so Singapore is not a natural place. But now, looking back, right? I mean, especially where we're moving to now, as of this year, we're setting up our own VCC fund in Singapore. Things like that, we are doing joint venture with a lot of uh, US funds and things like that. Singapore is a very good place. So I didn't plan it. But somehow destiny brought me here because if you look at Singapore as a place, it attracts a lot of high net worth, you know, and it's the central port of um, Asia. And so from a branding perspective, from a company perspective, it's fantastic. But it was not planned that way. Yeah. I'm sure it's like a lot of family offices here, a lot yes. of big money here. Yes. Right? So it's, it's, it's a great place. And yes. That's why when people work in finance, they, they make very good money in Singapore, right? So I don't deny that. But I think for many people that are not in the financial space or not in the property space, right? There's always this one looming question as a still can buy or not, right? <laughs> property still can buy or not. Because it seems like it seems like it is kind of inevitable that HDB is the first choice, mm. right? It, it mm. feels that way. Like, I don't hear my friends or the listeners talk about like, hey, can I get a bungalow? Or can I buy a private property or even the condo, right? So this question has come up again and again in some of your live videos. So I just want to yes. have you share with us a little bit. Like, do you think property still can buy? <laughs> uh, I think uh, we did a program in 3rd of August last year, uh, 21.9. 
and um, I put up a chart, I recall, Reggie, and I said to them, can you plot, and this chart literally show you the whole economic cycle, like boom time, you know, downtime or whatever. Literally, almost everybody in the classroom said that we are, the next stage is going to be a downward cycle. So people know. And then if, if it's at the downward cycle, wouldn't it make sense to buy it just maybe after the downward rather than on the way down. And so at that time, I recommended, please don't buy. So at this stage, they thought, oh, we have had some equity reduction in the marketplace. There's some already very obvious sign that we're heading right into recession, if not depression. Uh, they are now asking me, so is this the right time? It's like, no, because uh, the, the, it's still very, very uncertain right now. When you cannot see clearly where the bottom is, don't buy. You don't know what is happening in the marketplace. There's so many uncertainties. So the answer is do not buy. Um, I say that and then I had people say, but you're buying what? Which <laughs> <laughs> is fair enough. Um, the reason why we're buying is because the segment that the property that I'm interested in is um, uh, 10 mil and birth because we do fundings and all that, right? That segment hasn't had a lot of inquiries at all since the crash. Whereas the other end of the market, the, the more uh, mom and pop, the usual people where they transact, um, that part is still different from the parts that I'm working at. And so the other thing is also when I buy undervalue, I do a lot of stuff to it. It's my business. I do enhancement, I do development. So increase the value, I do sexy stuff to it. But if you're just buying and hold, no, please don't. <laughs> so, so what are some of these things that people that are, are buying and you think is like, no, no? <laughs> ah, typically, typically there are only two segments uh, that Singaporean, especially those interested in property space, are buying. One is obviously condominium. Uh, we're not talking about obviously for own stay, which is then HDB would be one of them. But if it's for investment, generally it's condo. And lately, especially as of late last year, it's industrial. Industrial oh, okay. properties, right? Okay, yeah. And we know. Yeah, I, um, I heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. so, so these are the two major segments that people are playing in, so to speak. Um, so still no. <laughs> still a big no. So no. for all you guys who are hoping that you tune in today and suddenly get some strategy, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we got to wait a little longer. Yeah, right? I said wait and then uh, give me some time. I will hint to you when it's like the right time. Mm. I'll say, hey, this is the right time now. Go out and get something. And we have discussed it among my team. Also, what else to buy when the market turns? Mm. So like with everything else in life, it's good to be prepared, right? Yes. So this is the good time to window shop, but do not buy. So, so given such an environment, like you are kind of waiting for the dip, right? Waiting for the time to go into... Do you want to kind of just share with us a little bit where would you be looking at? <laughs> um, it's not so much uh, specifically where, it's the entry price. Mm. And, and generally, I have a favourite place, which is the outside city uh, outskirt. So like the, for example, your Sims area, your Queenstown. So not the central city area. I, I would not buy around there. I would also not buy around the 
too far out there like woodland and all that right now for investment for investment yeah. don't mind living there but yeah. uh, for investment the only exception to the rule is Jurong even though Jurong is considered more supposedly outskirt but its behavior is more towards the cent- uh, the mid mid portion mid portion is good because you catch both end that's generally where the mass market people who want to rent they get best value of money they still get close to MRT it's still about five to seven stops away from the CBD that's the sweet spot and then beyond that it's all about entry price yes all about valuations yeah. right all about <laughs> so yes you guys heard it right this is like trade secret <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so I think in a lot of investments right it is beyond just valuation there are things like cash flow right things like rental yield that that, uh, that you look at right so yeah. In the equity space, we look at dividend, you know, we look at the kind of leverage that we need to put in, you know, and fundamentals of the stock, right? So in your space, what do you actually look at? Like, what are some of these factors beyond just valuating? Um, first is the, it has to be undervalued. Mm. There's no question about it because if you bought, the majority of the profit is made when you buy. It's not when you sell. And that's consistent even for me. So whenever I go to all the funds, trying to raise funds, right, from institution, they always ask me, what, what price do you buy it at? They want to see that there's a gap between what the normal market is and what you're buying it. So I'm sure it's the same in the equity market, <laughs> although I'm not an expert at all in that. Um, then the other thing is that you want to buy in growth area. Um, so where there's still gentrification, there's still potential, where the market demand would somehow push the property forward. It can be segment or category, or it can be based on the area itself, right? Uh, for example, uh, Little India or the Aljuni area, more the gentrification type suburb. It used to be Tiong Bahru, but now it's already very matured. Just to give people some perspective, right? Um, but it can be also category focused. Uh, so be, category meaning usage-wise, what you use it for, etc. Then the next thing is that it has to be positive cash flow. And okay, elaborate us, elaborate okay, for us. Yes. That means that after when you, the, the simple concept is this, uh, when I buy this, after all my possible expenses, the MCST, the loan, the government, whatever else, all subtracted, it has to give me at least some money in the pocket. I don't care, especially given Singapore um, marketplace before pre-COVID time, I'll say, it's the capital is is quite at the, um, how should I say, the, the pricing in Singapore market is not at a discount, generally. Yes, generally. yes. yes. Um, therefore, at that stage, the yield majority of the time is negative. So if you look at our home loan rate, it's about 2%, 2.5, something like that, right? The rental yield sitting in Singapore at that time was 3 Less, you know. <laughs> so you just do your simple maths, three, and then your cost is so high, and then plus you've got other costs. You know that you have to top up. Yes. The only thing subliminally um, insulating the Singapore public from knowing this is because of something called CPF top up. Ah, okay, okay. So because every month you actually need to top up money, but because it comes up from your CPF, it didn't affect my lifestyle, so I'm still continuing. But reality is, I asked you, Reggie, would you start a business investing two, three hundred thousand dollars 
and then not no. make money <laughs> and still have to top up every month. No, man, like, yeah. it's crazy. And right? that so. has been happening in Singapore market for a long, long time. Wow. In wow. our resi market. Wow, and that's for you guys, man. Like, you you, you heard it, you heard it, right? It's, it's, a, it's definitely challenging when you are in such an environment, right? Where you are negative yielding and in any case, something happens and you need to pay up for it and you cannot afford, then you become a de-stressed property. Correct. Right. Be, be, because if we go back to the father of uh, all these like passive income, uh, you know, and all that being Robert Kiyosaki, <laughs> right? He talks about like passive income giving you freedom and what is an asset. Well, that's really not an asset at all. It's uh, detracting you from your retirement because the moment you lose your job, you can't fund these property. So then you are stuck as a slave inside this. Now, there's only one instances where this kind of strategy works, where you top up, you still want to buy. It's when the growth, the capital gain for your property far outweighs what you have to top up. So for example, every year I have to top up, let's say $3,000 just to support this property because my tenant, what my tenant pay me is not enough to cover the cost. But I know that the market is going upward swing and I'm getting capital gain of one to $200,000 per annum of course I'll do it makes sense right yes but that's not the market we've been in operating in <laughs> so Wait, when was the last time you saw something like that before 213 in Singapore wow wow so anyone who bought before 213 mm-hmm. have it got it good okay post that very hard okay and you were just talking about like you know Robert Kiyosaki, mm. right? So, so he, he's one of those guys that is like super contentious. Whenever you throw out his name, right, it's like, hmm, so which side are you on, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, there are, um, he's quite synonymous with the whole like seminar circuit, Correct. right? The, the Correct. people that <laughs> appear in your Facebook, Correct. <laughs> appear in your Correct. YouTube, disturbing you, Correct. And trying to sell you something, Correct. right? So, Correct. I'm sure you've come across some of these videos and some of the strategies that they, they talk about, things like, you know, no money down, property no money down, or like sell your HDB and get two private property. So do you kind of want to help us address <laughs> some of this? I hope, I hope we don't get you into trouble. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Uh, well, getting the no money down, I think it's no longer a secret. I mean, it, it used to be a secret when they it's first... It's all over did. Facebook now. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. I mean, they all know that it's now like a bit of a crowdfunding exercise. I get all my friends involved and then I'm the one who operate the building. So I'm, I have it no money down, but not my friends. They all had to put in something. The issue is all coming down to this. The, the contentious thing is about this. Let's say if I'm on $3,000 income per, per month and, you know, generally if I've just graduated, that could be the salary I'm on. If I own a couple of these, so I didn't put in any capital. I got all my friends involved. I rented out. Supposedly, it's supposed to be positive cash flow if it's tenanted. That was the assumption. But let's say if it wasn't tenanted for any reason, like a few months. Like and now. <laughs> yeah. And I have quite a few of this. Mm. And I'm on $3,000 plus income, which is not a lot when you're considering the mortgages for most of these. It's, uh, it's dire, the situation. Yeah. And that is what people will be confronted with. Yes. And essentially that is what, for like a better way to put it, they don't tell you, right? When they, when they sell you the course, you know, they... It only show you the, the the beautiful side, right? And but the reality in all investments is that 
we need to hedge the down, right? We need Correct. to be cognizant about what is the downside, Correct. right? Correct. And, and this is exactly the downside that we've been talking about again and again when you're highly leveraged Correct. and you, you cannot afford. Correct. I, I, I do want to say, though, that um, if I was um, like a young niece, right? I call it young niece who went through one of these calls, um, it would definitely add value to my knowledge about, oh, because they debunk a lot of the mystery about how to get loans, how to... So there are value to the course itself. But the strategy, the risk side of it needs to be emphasised because um, really you can easily uh, face uh, bankruptcy and that kind of issue. But what it does teach about how to get loans, how to, you know, those are valuable. Okay, so I, I get what you're saying, but I come from the grounds that $3,000 should get me a lot more information. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I would be happy to pay $30 for a book, something like for whatever you just talked about, like how to get loans and how property investments actually structured, yes. right? That for yes. a book, more than happy to do that, right? right? Or sign up for a podcast, more than happy to do that. Right. But to sell me this idea, right, that this is a tested proven system, right? You just sign up for this, you're going to make money and charge me $3,000, you know, um, yeah, I, I'm not comfortable. And yeah. you, you don't need to respond to yeah, this. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I would say this. Um, uh, you asked me before about, you know, the different things one would do to extract profit out of a property. The thing is that to extract extraordinary yield out of a property, even in the markets that we're in, you need to treat property like a business. It's no longer a passive thing that I do on the side, buy and hold. This is not the market. So for those people that they're teaching, the, the missing link is how do I then operate this property that I bought in a business format so that it's extracting me income? And that part is, is unfortunately not, not taught. Yeah. And I would add on to that to say that they don't know. Yeah. A lot of them don't know, right? So yeah. it's like whatever they say, it's, the, the interesting part is whatever they say is not wrong. Yeah. It's just not whole. Yes. <laughs> right? And, and for someone like yourself that has gone through, done the dirty work, right? From ground up, you know, revamping property after property and then doing all the development. And you see so much more. Correct. Right? Compared to people that just, for like a better way to put it, some of them are even learning from someone else and they just repackage the course and they just sell it to you yeah. and then tell you that's approved. Oh. Correct. In, and it takes skills, and also the other thing is also that um, there are risks. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that the whole thing will be full unless you have done this multiple times and you know you know how to you know, enhance the property, you know how to uh, extract yield. It's, it's like a business. Yeah, so, so that part, unfortunately, um, yeah. It's just not talked yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. It's not talked about, yeah. For like a better way to put it, those are the real trade secrets that people in the trade are either too occupied to share with you or you're just not connected enough, right, to to understand these things. Mm, correct. And, and that's what I tell people again and again. It's like your biggest opportunity would probably be closer to you than you think. 
Correct. Right, because you're deep Correct. in the sector. Correct. Right. Correct. So it's like Correct. if you're an accountant, every day you see a lot of accountants very jaded, right? Then okay, that is an opportunity. How do you solve that jadedness? Correct. Right? Correct. And not jump into the property market. Correct. Correct. And I think that. Um, because uh, I think people are generally trying to find ways to earn more income with minimal capital and they want guarantee and they want low barrier of entry, then this become a very natural tendency. So then people peddle out things like co-living, you know, how do you do that? Which is what you alluded to with the rent-to-rent strategy. There are also risks involved um, with that, uh, which is why as a company we never enter into it. I always say to the people within my mastermind, if you own the property, go ahead, do co-living because you own it. There's capital upside to it. You are paying off your own loan and that capital upside is worth something. Don't go out and rent where you have monthly commitment. The landlord doesn't care if your place is leased or not. And then plus you've put in deposit. You need to renovate the place. There are damages definitely done to the place, right? And so if you have like four rooms co-living, one is not leased out, which is going to be very common, especially now in this current market, you could be either in break even if not making a loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Then again. <laughs> Which is exactly what is some of the investors are talking about with WeWork. Exactly what they do, right? Maybe at a much grander scale, right? They, they rent longer. Of course, some of the properties they buy, but for a lot of properties out there, they're actually renting to rent. Correct. Right? And, but if let's say that is not a valid strategy for young people like myself, you know, mid-20s, early 30s, what can we do, right? Mm. If we are really vested in the property space and we really want to do something in property, I don't know why lah, but if we really <laughs> want to, I mean, if you've never done anything in property, why would you be super vested, right? Probably some uh, ideology that's been peddled right. again, right? right? But if let's say people really are interested in the property space for someone that is time rich, cash poor, what can we do? Okay, uh, this is the part that we need to get very, very real, right? Um, there are two ways that you make money out of property. One is your rental yield and one is your capital gain. Rental yield is absolutely necessary to give you the holding power and hopefully in the right market element, give you some pocket money. But if you're talking about passive income, retirement, you need a lot of this property in order to put you into that space. Um, and Singapore hasn't been in that market cycle that you can do this unless you do it like a business. And even then, there are inherent risks, I'm telling you, um, with it, which we do as a business. And I'm telling you that because we do it as a business, we're professional. We know the risks. And I can't even say that, hey, you know, so come in, newbies, and do that. So I would not recommend that. But what is very real, what is very real is that property is a very good place to accumulate wealth. There is no other, or in my limited <laughs> knowledge, there's no other things which I like. The things I like about property is that I could put in, let's say, 
$200,000 into a property. In the right market, assuming I buy well, suddenly I could find myself one or one and a half years time having profit or in Australia, I can get like $400,000 or $200,000 profit in the right market, assuming I buy well, which will take me forever as a young person earning my income to accumulate that kind of equity. But that equity is my nest egg. It's worth a lot of money. And if I have multiple of this nest egg, can you imagine? So that is what I wanted the young people to, to know, that that's what you should be accumulating. Um, that equity is worth something. Um, but do not use property as a vehicle in Singapore for now anyway, as a way to generate income. Unless you're professional, don't. Cool, I, I get that. So essentially, that is the power of leverage, mm. right? Because mortgage rents, mortgage um, loans are so much cheaper, right? Because for some reason, <laughs> the banks value property as a decent asset, you know, to back the loans. So broadly speaking, across all the asset classes, when you use property to make loans, it's much cheaper. Yes. Right? And that's why you can potentially ride that capital gain Correct. if there is that Correct. movement. Right? Correct. Mm. And the thing that I like about property for, um, uh, for my purpose is that it will never become zero in Singapore because you can't like from one day find out, oh my gosh, you know, it's like I invested 200 and it's all gone. It's, it's there, you can touch it. It's just, we might go through temporary correction uh, or even if you buy badly, you might, meaning really badly, you might sell it at a loss, but there is still money in there. It doesn't disappear. And so that's why I think that that's how I would do it. And, and so if, I don't know if you are okay if I touch on this topic. So if I was a Singaporean in my early 20s, uh, I would use other format to accumulate my cash flow, my day job, my other things. But I would use property to accumulate my equity for this market, mm-hmm. right? And given that I just, you you might say to me, hey, Maury, I just say that you say don't buy, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's true. But we, and, and this is the part that I actually, I'm different from Robert Kiyosaki. He said the house you live in is not an asset. It's not an asset in that it doesn't give you income. Totally agree. But it can in some rental format. But um, it does give you equity. And equity is a beautiful thing. Why does why is it that majority of the wealthy people park their money into property is because of equity. They want the, the sudden acceleration of their wealth from only putting 200000 suddenly it's worth that part. Yes. For, for like a better way to put it, there will never be another Orchard Road. Yes. <laughs> right? There will yes. be, never be another Marina Bay Sands. Right? So when you get it at a good price, at a yes. good time, you know, best if you got some inside deal, get some de-stressed, yes. you know, but that, that is complex, yes. right? And <laughs> if, if you're there and it, it's always there, yes. right? And, and you have it, right? Yes. And it does, when you go through the upward swing, I mean, you've, uh, my very first property, and, and this happened in Singapore as well, I bought a, a, a set of property for four hundred thousand dollars. I sold it in eighteen months' time for eight hundred. Oh! I was in my early twenties. There's no way I could accumulate. I, I was running my own business, and it was generating good income. But for me to accumulate four hundred thousand dollars, it would take me forever. I, I get. I get it. <laughs> 
I totally yeah, get it. It's, it's <laughs> but yet, with that, it gave me an in. And, and then I was thinking to myself, Reggie, like, oh, how many of this can I own? Yes. Right? How many yes. 400,000s can I make? Mm. Because that will make, put me into a position where I can retire. Yes. yes. Right? And that is definitely one of the concerns from people when they are trying to invest. Right. right? The, the general narrative out there is so that you can retire. Mm. Right? Of course, um, I, I do beg to differ in terms of like <laughs> what you can do with all the wealth, right? But I agree with your strategy. I agree with what you said. That I think to sum up whatever you just said for all of you who are following is that we don't want to see property in Singapore as a cash generator because the risk is, is crazy and the upside is limited, right? But we want to see the property landscape in Singapore as a way to get equity Correct. into this space Correct. so that we can then use that comfortable leverage because it's relatively cheap <laughs> to then make that upside in a good time. Correct. Right, okay. So so assuming that, and, and Reggie's assuming that I'm in my early 20s and I'm a Singaporean, right? So now I know that, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I, I think I said that to you before, that I really empathise with your generation because even a one-bedroom apartment in Singapore right now is like 800 to a million. So I need to put in like 200. And to, f- assuming no parental help, it would take me like, assuming I'm on very good income, accumulation over at least five years to get that kind of... And that's assuming I'm on very, very good income. And to get a dodgy little small box, right, to live in with my partner. So that's not the way to go. If I was an, a young uh, person, and, and I recall my right-hand lady actually asked me that question. She didn't come from a very good background as well. I mean, normal background, just normal. Parents are also living in HDB, cannot help her. So she got married. She asked me, hey, how can I ever be in that position, right? Um, so I said to her, if I was you, and that was only August, and this strategy is still applicable today, this is what I'll do. If I'm getting married, and unfortunately you have to get married in Singapore to get HDB, <laughs> so find a partner somehow. Um, and the thing is that I would get a resale HDB, not the new BTO, whatever. And she was shocked. She said, hey, but people are always telling me I should get the BTO, you know, newlywed, wait for the whatever. I said, but resale HDB, the, the barrier of entry, the num- amount of deposit you need to put, given what the government, is so little, right? So if I, let's say, get somewhere around uh, Pongol, Senkang area, right? Good area. Get a four-room, right, HDB. Live close to my parents, which is her case. I get all the government subsidy because I'm living close to my parents and it works out to be a substantial amount. I think it was like 80 or something like that, 80,000. Long time ago, we looked at this. 80,000 from young years, 20, again, take forever to accumulate, right? Get into the game, four room, grind it out. Of course, with the HDB, uh, with the CPF top up, literally the amount I have to pay monthly is very minuscule. Continue to boot my career, save up my money, if I wanted to, if I'm a little bit more greed-focused, lease out one of my rooms, right? I've got my wife, there's two of us, lease out another room, cash flow, come in, lift that out over the MOP period for five years. By then, we calculated majority of that property would have been nearly paid off, wow. right? And so you come to a position and plus your savings, your renters, money, assuming that you're a very good saver, all coming in. And you know what the what the beautiful part is? If you do that strategy, you still have a lifestyle with your wife, 
versus if you were to get in a condo. And and the why I'm so uh, I'm not against, but I don't think BTO provide the same strategy is because you cannot get in immediately. You have to wait. Yeah, exactly. Like you know what you said. A lot of people don't understand that. You know, time is a very important factor in investing, right? It's it's not a speed game. It is a time game. So coming into resale, it's... Even I didn't see that, right? It's like I, I consciously know that this is a thing, but I, I didn't see that. Yeah, right. and the grant for BTO is not as good as resale. And then the other thing is also you don't have the advantage of time to lease it out to someone to collect the extra income. And your MOP period is also, you know, it's quicker that you can then exit, take the equity that you've, you know, accumulated and then exit. So I was just sharing with someone, my right-hand lady, that... This is the time. If you enter four years later after your, or five years later after your MOP, this is the right time to sell one, buy two, not now. <laughs> and that is the time that uh, prices would still be okay. You get into two condos. By then, given the market correction, rental yield would be decent again. And that's you, you, when you accumulate some cash flow or at least some positive cash flow. I don't care if it's break even, as long as it, it it gives you, you don't have to top up, is basically what I'm saying. And then you can accumulate the equity. And then, so imagine late 20s, would you or would you not be happy if you end, end up owning two condos? Oh, I'll be glad. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then how about all the times ahead of you mm-hmm. that you can still accumulate more with your two condos? Okay, so, so what I'm getting is that there is actually validity in the buy one, it's like sell one, buy two. It's just that at this point in time, it's not right. Correct. Okay. And, and that was trash out in the marketplace for very clearly reason, mm-hmm. commissions. Uh, okay, you sell okay, okay. one okay. HDB, yeah, yeah. you buy two, how much commission do I earn? Yeah, three properties. Ah, uh, okay, I see it. Now I see why it's being peddled. I was like, why are this property agent telling me to sell my HDB to buy two condo? But they were they were riding on the fact that government just announced the HDB, you know, that they are, it's not guaranteed that they'll buy you out and all that. So they were leveraging on that to write their strategy. But actually, it's because of, it's all coming back to money again. Yeah, which, which is why I always talk about understanding the interests interests of different parties, right? You need to know who is incentivized to do what, you know, and, and then you kind of get more informed of their recommendations, right? right? right. So, wow, well, I just never spent enough time in the property space to, to be so vivid about it, right? And, and, and to be honest, also for a lot of property owners who own HDB, it's seen, it's seen as a status thing as well. Like, oh, now I'm owning two condos and I'm living in one. It, it sounds good. So it's, it's very easy to convince people. Yeah, now I see it. Yeah. <laughs> so scary, right? <laughs> in, in some ways, when you look at it, it is essentially playing on all the kind of social nuances that people have. Yeah. Right? So it's playing into your narrative, into the tune that you are so... Correct. But actually, once again, not a full story. Correct. Right? And, and the other thing is that you notice a lot of them are bringing this sell one, buy two to new launches. Why the commission is much better in new launches than it is in resale. Resale, you get what, 1%, 2% you have to share with the co-broke. New launches at that time, given the 50 plus launches that was happening, uh, developer was paying very high percentage. Is it okay to say how many percent? I I saw one time like it was even close to five for some 
Wow, that is a lot, right? Mm. And like, the higher ones as well. But those oh, are wow. the rare cases. Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. So, so if you're earning that, wow, wow why not? Wow. You, you suddenly become so rich. Yeah. Right? It's property really sounds like a place. Yeah, if you're an agent. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh. Wow, I've blown. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was 1% to 2%. I didn't yeah. realize that new For launches have that. And, and is it because... At the point in time of new launch, a lot of the properties developer are still raising funds. And that's why they're giving up so much. Or, or rather that the um, demand is less than the supply. You have 50 plus launches. There's only so many Singaporean and plus all the ABSD and stuff. The government has already put a, a cap on how many that you can buy. So with the limited pool of buyer, they have to snatch them. And what's the best way? Agents pay them more, they'll bring them in. Wow, it's so blunt, but so real. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is definitely what I want to hear, and I'm sure my audience want to hear and, that and too. And mind you, I also have to say, I'm very balanced. There are good agents out there. Mm. There are all the ones who, whatever recom- recommend you, it makes sense. I work with some of them, right? But then majority are not like that. Mm, yeah. mm. So that is actually one question that people ask me a lot. How do I choose the right managers? Uh, agents, yeah, you mean? Yeah, essentially. Right. Uh, I never choose them for their talking skill. Never. Uh, because <laughs> I find that, hey, I know the price I want to get in. I know how to negotiate. Maybe because I have those skill set. What I always get them for is their ability to research. Very important. Um, they can give me the most up-to-date data and information about a property which would then feed into my template so that I can analyze whatever I want, work out how much and whatever. Then I will tell them, okay, this is the one that I wanted. And the good, the smart one, the 10 out of 10 one, they will shortlist for you. They'll say, okay, based on your criteria, you want something with good rental, you, these are the ones that I shortlist for you and they'll present it. But you have to be discerning. You need to know what people are motivated by and take their information with some caution as to yes, the fact of yes. what motivates them and then evaluate yourself. Which fundamentally brings us back to incentives. Yes. Right? How are they incentivized? Correct. And, and sadly, um, it is a transaction business. Correct. So, you know, we fall prey to, you know, Correct. excessive transactions. Correct. But, but I think that the good agents really then start to realise that, hey, if I serve this client well nothing better than referral and then they stick with you forever there was like now when I buy property residential property I only work with one agent Mm -hmm. in my commercial space I only work with one agent and both have similar traits but they all specialize in their area they give me information I don't need anything else so should we work with specialists you know, like some Definitely. agents, they sell all sorts of properties, right? Or yeah. actually, they don't really sell all sorts. It's just all sorts of Japalang deals come to them. Yeah. And then they find their friend, you know, that kind. So do you recommend that we only work with professionals? Like they are very focused in like condos or like industrial or... You know, is, yes, is that, definitely, is that something? definitely. Yeah. And then uh, if you talk about classification, definitely. Areas-wise, uh, the, the, for example, the one residential agent that I use, he works all over Singapore, but 
his his research is good, solid, and he's not a talker, much of a talker, but he is very good with his research. He's more up to date than I am in the residential space. So I'll ask him, he'll say, oh no, this is the situation, but I just need the information. Then I can work out my decision. So I think that's very important. Yeah. And fundamentally, you have a system that you work with. Correct. Right, and we probably don't have enough time to cover that today. But in the future, if you want to organize something, you know, for our <laughs> listeners, and definitely let us know. I think a lot of people will benefit from it, right? And it's difficult to share, you know, everything at one time. Right, so so let's take it step by step. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be squeezing everything out, you know. But I'm quite sure we will meet again. We yeah. will definitely chat again and get more from you. But beyond property, so this is something I like to ask for for a lot of specialists, right? People that are super good in their field. After a while, you realize that it is not all about property, right? There are some elements to life beyond property, right? So for our young listeners. You know, out there, they're just still trying to shape the life they love. You know, uh, what are some random advice that you can give? You know, the twenty-year-old. Ah, random advice to give to a twenty-year-old. If I have it all over again, I would say I value time differently now that I can look back. Uh, I realize the importance of compounding interest and compounding effect of accumulation of wealth. I want to get into the market. But I also recognize that a lot of the right strategy, just as with life, if you read all the biographies of like successful people, whether it's Mr. Lee Kuan Yew or all the others, their life is very systematic, almost boring, but very disciplined. Every morning they wake up like this, they do this, like Mr. Lee Kassing, wake up at this time, always play golf and then doing this. Same ritual and routine is the consistency that reads the result. It's not the sexiness of, whoa, tomorrow I get 300% and all that. Those are your play money, meaning I can afford to lose it and not cry about it. I put aside a little after I've got my castle and my foundation solid. I've got this amount of play money. If I make money, I make money. If I lose it, I'm not going to cry about it. So I always say like, you know, there's uh, two different types of people who drive Ferrari, for example. The ones that if you scratch his car, he will not eat for the rest of the day because it's all that he can afford, you know. <laughs> or the ones that who, who has so many cars, it's just one car, mm-hmm. right? It's not so important to them. Um, so being very detached. And so that's how you should look at that little money that you want to do the 200%. Mm-hmm. And, and that 200% seldom happens. The only time that you can get the amazing profit in anything, I believe, although I'm not an equity expert at all, is if you play it like the professional. You play it like the professional. Yes. I run my property like a business. And that's why I can get like 20, 30% per annum. And when people hear about what I do, they like my after story, Reggie. They're always like, wow, she got $5 yield, I'll be one, you know, blah, blah, blah. The process, they hate it. They will be like going through the roller coaster going. But when I'm going through it, I know about my own capability. I know what I can do. But for them, it will be like so horrendous. Like, oh my God, you do, you know, whatever. So that's why I say to them, don't do that. Unless you intend to do it as a business, don't do that. Wow, this is exactly uh, what I experienced, right? When people ask like, hey, you know, how, how do you learn to pick stocks in the market? Then I'll be like, 
you sure you want to learn? You just want to make the money, right? <laughs> you just want to make the profits. You want to make profits that we make, Correct. right? But we, after I show you the system, how we do it, the kind of grinding work that needs to be done day in, day out and, you know, waiting and planning and that, that is the crazy stuff. Correct. <laughs> and, and the thing is that I'm sure, Reggie, in your cycle of investment, there are times that you grip onto your chair. You like are sick in your stomach because you've just confronted a situation you've never confronted before. But through sleepless nights, through research, through grind, you get through it. And then that makes you a different level of investor after that. Exactly, right. It's exactly like what you just said. Like recently, I just went through the biggest crash of the market, right? And I'm like... Wow, for the two weeks, I'm like, I want to invest. I want to quit this thing. It's so tiring. It's like, because, because a lot of things you are talked to about, right? And you're mentally prepared. Or you think you're mentally prepared until it really happens. Until it really hits your door. 10% Correct. down, 10% up every day. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Got it. But that's what makes you who you are. Like then yes. people will go, oh, you know, my friend Reggie makes this kind of return. They want your return. They break about your results, but they were never, yeah. you know? Yeah. And in that, you cannot, uh, you have to write through it. Exactly. Yeah, so. you have to write through it. And, <sighs> and, and the thing is that uh, uh, one thing, if, if they just learn this, whatever that they want in life, if they can just learn discipline. Uh, discipline is a very boring thing. It's, it takes a lot of grit sometimes. It's mundane you, a lot of the time you can't see the results when you're doing it you're like thinking I'm crazy I'm still doing this it brings me pain I can't see the results but that is the thing that will separate you from the crowd nice that is so important that is so real and mm. that is so truthful when you repeat repeat and repeat sometimes you don't see it but when you take a step back and be like eh actually there is a lot of growth yeah right and I think that is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, it's a great time with you today <laughs> with your lovely dogs and lovely place. I know you guys cannot see because it's a podcast, man, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for future, having me. Yeah, we'll do some videos and let's see where, where this brings us, right? Thank you. Thank no. you for today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coconuts, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us and will help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Like, share, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> also, if you have something interesting that you want us to go through or someone interesting that you want us to interview, reach out to us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week. And always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.